0: Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. I had a really unique experience this week. I was having my uh, white church bracelet on here, and I was at a... uh, business in the area, and I walked in, and the young lady said, what's your bracelet say? And I've been waiting for weeks for someone to bite the bait, and she said, what's your bracelet say? And I said, why church? And I said, uh, our church is doing a sermon series answering the question that people may need to ask, why is there church? Why should anybody go? And she said, is your church cool? And I said, well, I don't know. And she said, is it good? And I said, you ought to see our preacher. He's amazing. (Laughter) I said, he's handsome, he's thin, he's brilliant, he's entertaining. You would love it. So if that young lady's here today, Michael's not preaching. So uh, I'm the other one. My name's Mark, and I hope she stays. I don't know if she'll come or not. Uh, If you are visiting, my name is Mark, and I have the privilege of being one of the ministers here at the church. And uh, these students, these young people answered the question brilliantly, why do we do this? Why do they come to church, and what do they receive, and what are they called to do, and We've been looking over six weeks, and I won't review the entire series at this moment, but what we've discovered is the church exists because God wants it to, and he gave it to us for a purpose. And we've been trying to figure out what that purpose is. I mean, we, we get an idea. You wouldn't have gotten up, got dressed, taken showers, and got yourself all ready to come to church. You wouldn't have gotten your kids up and fed them and take them to classes and all that if you didn't find value in it. But sometimes I think we can turn the church into what we want it to be for us and miss what it's supposed to be for us. So that's what we've been studying. In the last three weeks of this six-week series, we've talked about the need to embrace a greater truth. That there is a truth of God that even though the world makes fun of it, it's going to be proven true in the end. And there's also the need to have a greater fulfillment, that we all want to mature and become more holy. We all want to not be holy so we're better than others. We just want to be more like Jesus. Want to understand him, want to spend time with him, want to know who he is. And want to be at peace when we're with Him. Today I want to conclude our series by talking about the, the need to experience greater relationships. And we're going to be looking in the book of Romans. But if you walk out of church today and you see someone and they said, Hey, what did what, you learn at church today? There's one word that's going to be our answer, love. And it's all I'm going to say over and over and over. But I'm, I'm a little bit perplexed this morning because as I wrote this message, I really felt compelled that I needed to preach this particular message. I needed to share its truth, but it's one of those truths that's not new. I I think if I queried the audience when you came in this morning, do you believe we ought to love one another? Every one of us would have said, oh, absolutely. But if I would have queried that same group of people and said, do you? We would all pause for a moment, wouldn't we? Some of you just did, it's funny. Some of you are like, oh, don't ask, why? Because we know theoretically, (laughs) excuse me, that we should love, but we're not always sure how or when, or what it looks like. So I want to give us freedom today to say that when we talk about love, we're not talking about sentimentality. We're not talking about an emotional-based feeling. And we're not talking about doing something for somebody for fear that if we don't, they will stop doing for us what we want them to do. We're not going to be held hostage by love. Because love, when the Bible calls us to do it, is a very unique and beautiful thing. And it's the one thing the world most needs to see the church demonstrate. Not a sentimentality, but a choice. A choice to give our lives away so others can understand why we would do that and because of who we do it. But we're going to be in Romans. I've got to give you some background as we head forward. The first 11 chapters of Romans deal with God's love for us. In fact, I'm very excited to tell you, at the, after the New Year's, in January through about mid-April, we're going to be studying the book of Romans on Sunday mornings. It is one of the most powerful books in all of the New Testament, because it tells us about God's love for us, and then it tells about God's love through us. And the passage we're going to read today gets into the latter section, where it talks about God's love through us. But I want to prove to you that the message of love is found throughout all the scriptures, so that we won't be able to say, I think I should love, I'm just not sure I will. Because if we're going to be a part of God's kingdom, love is what makes the kingdom work. It's what makes the gospel preach. It's what makes salvation possible. Love is not an option to be added. Love is the core behind everything we exist for. And if the church, oh, heaven forbid, but if the church is not a place of love, may God close it because it's taking the opposite message for which it was sent. You see, in Romans 5.8, speaking of God's love, it says God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 8.39, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The first 11 chapters are about God's love for us. And then the chapters 12 through 16 are about God's love in and through us. Romans 12, 1, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. If I look at Romans 12 and I listen to the difference the love of God is to make in us, and we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, listen to just a sampling of what Romans 12 tells us we're to be like and be about. Let your love be genuine. Love with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Contribute to the needs And show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Do not curse them. Repay no one evil for evil. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Never avenge yourselves. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good love. Not a sentimentality. Not an emotion-based thing. Not a, I'm going to give you this, so you give me that. A love that's different. So let's read Romans 13, 8-13, and let's get a glimpse this morning of what we're called to be and do. Let no debt remain outstanding except a continuing debt to love one another, for he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. What I want to do is show you in a very brief message this morning, a principle that I don't think we're going to argue about. I don't have to spend a lot of time building a model for everyone to say, well, should I love? Now I want to talk to you about what it would be if we did. Let's begin by saying love is an inner attitude that breaks out in actions. One of the definitions of whether or not you know you're loving is how you display actions toward others. It's not just thoughts. And this is what separates us. We can sing about love and preach about love and teach about love and and write poems about love, but do we love? The question for all of us is not shame-based. It's like if the work of Christ that we've talked about for the last five weeks, if the work of Jesus and the maturation of Jesus in our lives takes place, you will become more loving. Now, are any of us perfect at it? No. Do, Do all of us have our attitudes under control? No, but certainly not. We are works in progress, but there ought to be progress. There ought to be demonstrations of kindness and mercy and love breaking out when at times we wonder, where'd that come from? It comes from the work of God inside each one of us. Verse 8, Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. And he gives the reason why in verse 7. He says, Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And Paul follows that by saying, "Owe no one anything except to love each other. I hate to owe people things. Do you? I hate payment plans. A salesman loses me the minute he says, Hey, you can pay for this over five years. (laughs) I'm done. I can't stand the obligation. I can't stand the pressure. There are times in my life I've had to go and do that, but I hate it. I'm weird. I know you know I'm weird, but let me prove I'm weird. I've been known to call the Discover card number, type in my account number, to hear the recording say this to me. This is true. Your balance is zero. And I do a little happy dance and I hang up the phone. And for one 30-second span in my life, I'm in charge. I hate owing anybody anything. And I read a passage like this, and I begin to break out and sweat. Owe no one anything except to love each other. And then I begin to wonder, how does love become something I owe? In 12.10, Paul says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So let your behavior be love. Let it become a part of what you do. Not a thought, not an idea, not a concept, an action. 1 Corinthians 16.14, let all you do be done in love. Let all you do, the actions, the responses. So I know we know this. But it's more than just an action toward a person. It's an attitude. It's a a disposition that produces a behavior. Paul has this wonderfully beautiful definition of love. When he writes in 1 Corinthians, he's writing to a church that had power, it had prestige, and it had opportunity, but it was not loving. So he goes after that core. In fact, he says to them, there's faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is what? And he has defined what love is. And many times I've stood in this room seeing a bride come down this aisle and meet a young man who's very happy to see her. And they'll come up on this stage and face me. I'll stand there, they'll stand here, and I will read to them the definition of love that Paul writes. And I love this moment because some people say that definition doesn't fit in a marriage. I think that definition fits wherever love is needed. But here's what I love to say to the bride and the groom. If you listen to that definition of love and you were asking, do I receive it, you've asked the wrong question. You should listen to that definition of love and only ask one question, am I offering that? Because love is not about what we've received, love is about what we've given. And it's an action that comes from a change. Uh, Brad Moss asked me a few moments ago a great question. So if we want to get away from the emotional base, he was asking an insightful question. He knew the answer but he thought it was fair for the message. If we want to get away from an emotionally based love, then how do we change our attitudes? And we'll talk about that in a moment. So let me explain the debt of love. If love is an inner attitude that comes out in actions, how does it become a debt? Verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other for the love or for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Very complex process here owe no one anything except but to continually love, because when you do that, you fulfill the law. So how does my love to others become a debt? Let me tell you thoughts that entered my mind and process this with me. My first contention or problem with this is that debts are often in payment for something given to us. I owe the Discover card because I use that piece of plastic to purchase things now, knowing at the end of the month I'm going to pay off my bill in full. So I owe them that money because I used something they gave me. They offered me a service. I'm repaying the service. How do I owe? Now, see, I have no problem. If you would say to me, owe your love to Heather, oh, absolutely. I mean, for 30 years, she's taken care of me and put up with me. She gets everything. Do I owe love to my parents? Absolutely. I wouldn't be here without them. I mean, not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually and maturation-wise, they've invested in me. Do I owe love to my sons? They give me joy and peace and companionship. Of course, I could love them easily. But when Jesus tells me to love my enemy, and they've not, if they've given me anything, it's been nothing I wanted. Pain, grief, slander, attack, and I'm to love them? How do I owe them anything? Church, are you with me? Because when we hear the word debt, we think I receive something, and so I give something, and that's one of the reasons our love is jacked up. Because we emotionally or sentimentally or we want to give something to someone for fear, if we don't, then they'll take what we most want from them. And Paul says, no, you're to love. See, Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan in, in Luke chapter 10. And that Samaritan man didn't know who that man in the ditch was. He didn't know he was Jewish. And when he drove by and he saw a human being in great need, he didn't stop and assess ethnicity He didn't assess economic status. He didn't assess educational. He didn't assess gender. He saw a human being who needed love. And instead of going by and saying, I love, he looked down and he said, I will love. Instead of saying, I should love, he in that moment chose to love. And he got off his donkey and he went down in the ditch. And not only did he love the man by meeting his needs, he also took that man to a place and he allowed himself to be taken advantage of. He said, I will come back and whatever bills have been raked up for this time while he's being cared for, you tell me and I promise you I'll pay. That's what love does. Love doesn't know what to do. Love does what it knows to do. And so we ask all the time, how can I owe a debt to somebody who's my enemy, someone who's been against me? And isn't debt a repayment for something given? The second objection we might have to love being a debt is owing someone love seems to contradict what we've defined as love, right? Have you ever had your parents ruin things for you? Someone gives you something nice and you'd like to say to them, that was really nice, thank you, but before you do, your mom says, say thank you. And you're like, well, I was going to, but now it's meaningless, right? Because you're like, oh gosh, I would have in the right way in time, but now it seems like the only reason I'm doing it is because you told me to. And we hear, we owe love and we think, God, I'd love to, but now you've told me to do it. Now they're going to know I'm only doing it because you told me to do it. It means nothing. That's because we base our love on sentimentality and emotions and receipts. But Paul says, no, you can love. You can give love even if it's expected and it still be love. Jesus said something that causes me pause he says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do, you not, do not even the tax collectors do the same? He's saying, if you're only giving love to receive, you're missing the point. You can give love that's so shocking that people will say, wow, I didn't deserve that. And therein is where love shows its true face. Paul said to the Romans in the first chapter, he said, I, I'm obligated to preach the gospel. He uses the same word he uses in, verse, or in chapter 13 when he uses the word debt. It's the same word. He said, I am in debt to preach the gospel to a people that did not deserve it. Our debt is because Christ loved us when we did not deserve it. So I want you to ponder with me what we've just discovered and thought through. Did Jesus love you when you gave him nothing? I'm sorry, I'm going to ask a question. Feel free to respond. For you visitors, we're weird here, all right? Everyone feels like they can come in and be quiet until we're singing. So talk to me. Did Jesus love you when you gave him nothing in return? And did Jesus love you when his father asked him to? And did it still feel like love? So all of our contentions are gone, aren't they? If we love only to receive, and we think, well, it's not really love. No, it's love because Jesus gave it to you. How would you like it? A whole lot. So what do we do to the world in which we live? We can be indebted to them because Christ loved us first. And we're to love as Christ loved. We're to give as Christ gave. We're to love those who hate us. How could Jesus on the cross that day say these words? They know not what they do when they did. Because he let them know, you think you're accomplishing your goals, but you're actually accomplishing Satan's, and I'll even overcome that. So he loved us when he had to, And he loved us when we didn't deserve it. And it was still love. He told his disciples, freely we've received, freely give. Freely you received, now freely give. John, the apostle who understood the love of Jesus, said in 1 John three sixteen, he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So once again, I don't think anybody's here going, I can't believe this. This church believes we ought to love. Of course we do. What I'd really like to talk about is, do we? Do we live every day so that the love of Jesus is not just about me being saved, but it's about me offering salvation and the kingdom of God to people that live in my world, around me, in my sphere of influence every day? I don't love so people know me. I love so people know Jesus. Is that the answer to our our core Is that why we exist? Or do we exist on Sundays to have worship services that make us feel better? No. We gather together as a body of believers who have been loved to remind ourselves that our mission in life is to love, to serve, to give, to sacrifice. You see, I'd like to close this morning with this point. The way of love is chosen. It's really the simple application that surprises none of us. The way of love is chosen. Verse 9. Whatever other commandment there may be, these are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Matthew 22, Jesus was asked a question, and I'd like to paraphrase it if you allow me to. What basically they said to him is, what are you talking about? You keep talking about these things, and it's not about washing of hands and cleaning rituals and how many services to go to. It was none of that. Jesus, what are you trying to say? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with everything you are, and you do that by loving your neighbor as yourself. And of course, someone said, who's my neighbor? And he told the story of the Good Samaritan. But the question isn't, who's my neighbor? The question may be, do I know how to love like this? Have I ever loved like this? And that's the brilliance of Jesus, because he answers, he goes, oh, you have. Whenever you've loved yourself, you have just shown the ability to take care of somebody. Remember when you were little, one of your favorite words was, mine. Can I have that? Nope, mine. Your parents just gave you a cookie. My dad used to laugh. Do you guys remember chuckles? Those sugar-covered gummy things, they look like a little McRib. There's five of them in a sleeve. They're green, orange, red, yellow, and black. And the black one's in the middle, and it tastes like feet, or, red li- or black licorice. It's horrible. And when I would go with my dad, he would buy me candy. And I always, I like gummy candies like Dots and Mike and Ikes and Chuckles. And I'd get a sleeve of Chuckles, and my dad would, from the front seat of his truck, say to me, hey, Mark, can I have one? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> He always got the black one. And I remember getting older one time, he goes, not the black one. And I remember looking at it, and it was a dilemma for a kid. There are some good colors there. And instantly, without a thought, I ranked them in order of flavor. Yellow's always first. Red was second. Orange third, green fourth, black ninth. I gave him the green one. And he looked at me, and he knew me well, and he said, can I have the yellow? I won't tell you what happened. But the point is, I do know how to love myself. When we were kids, my dad had a rule. He said he learned it on the farm. If we'd have an apple, my dad would let one of us cut and the other choose. We'd get a micrometer out to make sure that the apple was split to the exact ounce. Nobody was even getting a piece of skin more than the other person. We had to be equal and fair. You know how to love yourself. If you put the same energy in loving somebody else with the same capacity you have to make sure that you're fulfilled, you would be loving like Jesus, wouldn't you? So we wonder, do I know how to love that? When he says, yes, you do. You know how to take care of your own interest, your own usefulness, your own fulfillment. Now stop thinking just about ourselves and start thinking, how would my neighbor respond if I loved him like Jesus loved me? And therein lies the thought for today. Our love is not a sentimentality. It's not an emotionally-based responsiveness to getting something. It's about choosing to love someone like we're loved. And then Michael said something to me this morning after First Hour, which I really appreciated. He said, when we talk about why church, one of the questions many of us wonder is, do I really need the church, or can I not study the truth myself and grow up like Christ and And you can make points, and I'm not sure I would agree that you could say you could do those on a mountaintop or in a cabin by yourself or sitting home in your easy boy chair on a Sunday morning listening to a TV preacher and thinking about God. There are a lot of people who say, I don't need the church. I can worship on my own. I'm going to tell you this. Possibly, but doubtful. And not because I'm trying to build and fill empty seats. I know the one thing you cannot do all on your own is love and be loved unless you've made love about you. So Jesus loves me. I don't need anything else. I got mine. Let the rest of the world go to hell. I've got mine. Let everybody grow up, and I hope they make it. Now, you see, they, Jesus said they will know we are Christians by what? By our love. I hope what I'm about to say is not inappropriate. I'm going to say it really cautious. It's been a hard week. Too many good people are gone. Too many funerals that are tragic. I'm ticked. I hate death. All it does is take and hurt and ruin. I hate it. But I'm going to tell you this. I know love works because the families I got to spend a little bit of time with this week, and you did too, I don't think anyone in those families is thinking, I loved long enough. I'm glad that's over. I know every single one of them would give whatever they could to love one hour more. We know how to love, don't we? And so if you're saying, my Christianity doesn't compel me to love, then you've never felt the real love of Christ. Brad said, how do we go from an attitude of selfishness to an attitude of love? Spend time understanding how valuable Jesus found you and he walked through death over it. Your, your heart will soften and God will begin a transplant he doesn't say love so people notice he says love so people feel me see me know me and grow in me because when you take the risk of loving it will become something you'll never get enough of if you stay safe from loving then people will drive you crazy church The reason he's called us together is to learn to love so that the world will want to know what we know, experience what we've experienced, and be able to look death in the eyes saying, you have your moment, but it won't last very, very long. That's what our hope is in. Our hope is in that love wins. Church, it will. Let's stand together.